and others. But you know, my wife and I have been married this year, it'll be 18 years. <clears throat> and you know, we don't agree on every aspect of our doctrinal convictions. We never have. In fact, in fact, when we were dating, like when I was courting her at Denny's in Philadelphia <laughs> with a bullet hole through one window, it was a bad Denny's, we would be having doctrinal conversations like while we were dating, right? <clears throat> and it's worked out fine. <laughs> and so even though we don't always agree, we are completely unified. There may be a tug of war, but we are running in the same direction. And so in the church, what we do is we take our vastly different personalities, we combine them with different sets of experiences, and then we come to a 2,000-year-old book written in a completely different culture to a completely different people group, and we try to grasp the Almighty God with our finite and sinful human minds. We are going to disagree. We are going to disagree. You know, <clears throat> we never really reach the end of knowing God. 1 Corinthians 8 says that if anyone imagines that he knows something, <clears throat> he, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. The God of the universe knows us, and he wants us to know him and continue to pursue knowing him. But he will not submit to being dissected and studied like an experiment in a lab. He's far more personal than that. And our approach to our beliefs must include the personal attributes of our God. Okay, so this is the situation that we find ourselves in as a community of faith, as has every church for our entire history, 2,000 plus years. We know that we're going to have disagreements. And so what do we do with that? Well, the scriptures have some really good guidance for us on this. The early church dealt with this quite a bit as Christians uh, who were Jewish came together with Christians who were Greek and they had differences of conviction and preferences on things like the day to worship and what food was appropriate to eat or not eat. And it got really confusing. And it's into that space that that the Apostle Paul enters, and we're going to look at Romans 14, and he's got some amazing teaching there on how to handle these differences in the church. Paul says in Romans 14, starting in verse 1, he says, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. By the way, that's not a slam on vegetarians. Okay, just make that clear. That's talking about like, uh, those that, um, that have religious convictions about meat, which would have been pretty common in the early church, uh, and they're called weak because their understanding of what is permitted under the gospel is still in development, okay? Verse 3 continues, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Skip down to verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, 
since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. We're going to skip down again to verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each 